please turn with me in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 2. A few months ago, before the Easter season, when I was last here, we looked at the few verses that came before this, Jeremiah chapter 2, but today we'll pick up from Jeremiah 2, 20 through 28. And may our God bless the reading and the preaching of his word. Hear the words of the Lord. For of old I have broken your yoke and burst your bonds. And you said, I will not transgress. When on every high hill and under every green tree you lay down playing the harlot. Yet I have planted you a noble vine, a seed of highest quality. How then have you turned before me into the degenerate plant of an alien vine? For though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, yet your iniquity is marked before me, says the Lord God. How can you say I am not polluted, I have not gone after the bales? See your way in the valley, know what you have done. You are a swift dromedary breaking loose. In her ways, a wild donkey used to the wilderness that sniffs at the wind in her desire. In her time of mating, who can turn her away? All those who seek her will not weary themselves in her month. They will find her. Withhold your foot from being unshud and your throat from thirst. But you said, there is no hope. No, for I have loved aliens and after them I will go. As the thief is ashamed... When he is found out, so the house of Israel, so is the house of Israel ashamed. They and their kings and their princes and their priests and their prophets. Saying to a tree, you are my father. And to a stone, you gave birth to me. For they have turned their back to me and not their face. But in the time of their trouble, they will arise. They will say, arise and save us. But where are your gods that you have made for yourselves. Let them arise if they can save you in the time of your trouble. For according to the number of your cities are your gods, O Judah. Quite a depressing sounding passage and yet one that's essential for the people of God. Wild grapes, an untamed donkey, and a shameless thief, a bride that has gone wild. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, young Jeremiah, just in his 20s, had to boldly confront the Lord's bride for running after other gods, running after flashy things. And in order for the bride to really get the message, Jeremiah had to use clear language. And to help make that language clear, he used illustrations. Today you will see how Jeremiah called out the Lord's bride and told her that she was sour as wild grapes, that she was acting as an untamed wild animal, and that she was a shameless thief. Instead of being the prized and the proud and the pure bride of God, she had become stench in God's nostrils. Our headings are there for those three, as you see in your bulletin. 
God's bride became a wild vine. God's bride became an untamable female animal. And then third, God's bride became a shameless thief. Our goals are that you will work to restore the precious bride of Christ to himself, starting individually so she can return and give him the glory that rightly belongs to him. First, we look at God's bride became a wild vine. God's bride was an obedient bride in the past. Long ago, she was trapped in sin and in slavery, but the Lord burst her bonds and set her free. Spiritually, he freed her from sin, and that was pictured by the sacrifices of the Old Testament. And physically, he rescued her. He burst her bonds from Egyptian slavery and gave her the land of Canaan to live in. And she promised to serve the Redeemer. And she did so at the beginning. Listen to what she says in Exodus chapter 19, verse 8, just before the law was given. Then all the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. And even when she fell into sin during the time of the judges, the Lord always sent someone to redeem her, to bring her back in the way of truth. But now God's bride fell headlong into sin and became a practicing sinner, a prostitute. God's queen had ignored all she had in the past, all she had then, and all the promises of the future, and sold herself to the newest passing gods. Her gods at this time were wealth and prestige. She lusted for these other gods. And because she lusted for these other gods, she ignored her husband. And she ignored the Sabbath. And she didn't care. Because she lusted for money, she then became cruel to the widows, the orphans, and the foreigners. And then, of course, because there's a natural urge in everyone to worship, she then chose to worship idols instead of the true God. And she worshipped these idols under every green tree and on every high hill. And this picture of laying down is a picture of the prostitute. It's a graphic picture, but that's what the Lord wanted to get across to them. He often used the picture of husband-wife relationship to show good things and even bad things, as in Songs of Solomon, picturing the, Christ of, uh, the love of Christ for his church, using human love. But here, the prostitute sells herself in the worshiping of other gods. She didn't care what other people thought. She did this openly. So now we have the three illustrations, which are really our three main points today. God illustrated that his brides fall into sin, or he illustrated his bride fall into sin by comparing her to a wild grapevine. He had made her into a valuable vine, a noble vine, a vine to produce much fruit. That's the picture of the grapes coming out from Canaan. A land rich. And so the people were expected to produce. That's what God told Adam in the Garden of Eden. Multiply, fill the earth, have dominion. That's what God told Noah when he came out from the earth. Have dominion over the earth. That's what God told Abraham. 
That was a promise that in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And your seed will be as the stars of the heaven. As the dust of the earth. As the sand on the seashore. God expected her to spread. Psalm 80 verse 8 says. You have brought a vine out of Egypt. You have cast out the nations and planted it. You prepared room for it. And caused it to take deep root. And it filled the land. What a beautiful picture. This was a seed. Jeremiah said of the highest quality. But it had become into a degenerate plant. Like an alien vine. And look at what happened from that beautiful picture of Psalm 80 to Isaiah 5 verse 4. It says this. What more could have been done to my vineyard that I have not done it? Their grapes are grapes of gall. Their clusters are bitter. Look at what the vine had become. Isaiah 54 says. um, When I expected it to bring forth good grapes. It brought forth wild grapes. Deuteronomy 32, 32 says, For their vine is like the vine of Sodom and their fields of Gomorrah. Grapes of gall, clusters bitter. What a picture of where Judah had, uh, to what it had become. God's bride wanted to fake faithfulness, however, by performing the outward rituals. So while they were oppressing the widows, orphans, and foreigners, while they were ignoring the Sabbath, while they were worshipping idols under the tree, they still carried on ritual worship before God. Something that God hated with a passion because there was no heart behind it. Their sins were obvious to God. This was like taking, this ritual worship was like taking lye and soap to wash the surface. If you don't know what the what lye is. Sodium hydroxide or potassium hydroxide. Caustic soda. Very harsh washing material. It washes really good on the outside. But it doesn't go inside. The corruption was internal. And so God was describing. What this bride had become. Wild grapes. Sour. Look good on the outside. But no good on the inside. What can we learn from this? Let me point out three lessons here. First of all, even the most genuine Christians can fall into sin. Serious sin. That's why we should not be arrogant. We should constantly nourish ourselves with the word of God. The Bible says, take heed how you stand, lest you fall. For liberty can easily be turned into licentiousness if liberty is not nurtured by the word of God. You need to guard your hearts and minds daily. Second, every sin you commit is marked down. Nothing slips by God. Every idolatry, even idolatry of the mind, he knows. He knows if you come to church just because. Rather than you come to church with the passion and the desire to worship the true and living God who saved you graciously by his son. You know, God sees every broken Sabbath in the heart. Every sin. Every covetousness. Every abuse of others. Even in the heart he sees. Third lesson. God expects his church to stay pure. And not interbreed with lesser gods. 
In other words, don't allow them to influence you in any way. Doing this will dishonor the true vine. You are of that vine, the true vine. No wild vine must be a part of your life. Be distinct. The second thing that we see here is that God's bride became an untamable female animal. God illustrated his bride's fall into sin by comparing her to untamed or untamable wild, lustful female animals. God's bride was a stubborn, he uses the word she-donkey, or a wild she-camel. Even as she was denying that she was polluted by the idols around her, she pursued her lustful passions as a female animal does at breeding time. She knew how to sniff the air to find the mate. She was uncontained. No one could control her. She searched and found her lustful satisfaction. Her lust drove her. She lacked discretion, taking any mate who she would find. That's okay for a wild donkey and she camel, but not for the church of Jesus Christ. She became so vulgar that the male donkey wouldn't even have to go looking for her. She would go looking for him. And this is the recklessness of the bride of Christ. This is exactly what had happened a hundred years before when the Assyrians were coming for the northern ten and a half tribes. The, the southern one and a half tribes of Israel, Judah, and half the tribe of Benjamin, didn't learn. In Hosea chapter 2 verse 7, speaking of the northern kingdoms, she, the Bible says she will chase her lovers but not overtake them. Yes, she will seek them but not find them. That's the kind of wickedness you will find that they found in the bride of God and they were still finding then. And this was a graphic picture of God's bride who abandoned him and went running after other gods to please herself. You want to see how passionate the pursuit of other gods? Jeremiah 32 verse 35 says, And they built the high places of Baal which are in the valley of the son of Hinnom to cause their sons and their daughters to pass through the fire of Molech, which I did not command them. The bride's children were figuratively and literally given to gods. Money drove them. So they ignored the true God. And then they worshipped these idols. And then they did what these idols wanted. They sacrificed their children for their possessions. So God called on his bride. If you have your Bibles open, you see what he says in verse 25. He says, don't wear out your shoes running to your lovers. Take your shoes off. They ran to Egypt, however, and to Assyria. The ones that had taken the northern ten and a half tribes captive, they ran to them for help. And then they ran to Egypt for help instead of their true God. Jeremiah 3.13 says, Only acknowledge your iniquity that you have transgressed against the Lord your God and have scattered your charms to alien deities under every green tree. 
and you have not obeyed my voice, says the Lord. You know what that means. Scattering your charms under every green tree. That's what they had become. A stinking, rotten prostitute who had no regard for the husband at home. Just like those wild animals. The bride declined to obey God because her love for the strange gods was too strong and her love for her true God had waned. She was not talking to him. She was not learning all that he did for her in the past. She had forgotten the promise of the future. And so it was easy to become distracted with the shiny things that she ran after. And her pollution, her passion for pollution could not be quenched. At least, that's how they saw it. She said, I have to, I have to, that's her response. I love them, I have to go that way. What can we learn from the second point? Now it's true we don't bow down to idols, but we make money our gods, and we stop there. Lust for money, which, which is a god, can make men do extraordinary things and take unnecessary risks. Risk to themselves and to their spouses and to their children and to their church and ultimately to their nation. Let me give you some example. They endanger their children. This is very common today. By not giving their children a good education. Or they turn their children over to the state to teach them. Remember the old saying, only a fool will give his enemy to teach his children. And yet, that's what we do. Because of our love and passion for money, we're not willing to make the sacrifices for them. Sometimes we work too much and we ignore our wives and we wonder why marriages are weak. Because we work too much. Sometimes we're too busy to serve in the church and we wonder why is the church weak? How come the churches are falling apart and there's chaos and division? Or maybe the good people are too lazy to serve or the qualified people because they're too busy making money or being busy with other things or just being plain lazy. God wants you to be a part of the church so it will be active and good and faithful preaching of the word, faithful administration of the sacrament, faithful discipline. That's what God expects. Lesson two. Another idol of God's people is not just to pursue wealth, but, but to seem relevant. Relevant in our culture, to fit in with the world's view. The church is desperate to look like we are not a stick in the mud, but we can get along with society as if we are part of this world and the worldly systems. So she's changing her views on creation, on male leadership in the church, to the way we discipline our children, to the regulative principle of worship. We want to be more accommodating to people and society rather than to stay faithful to God. The reality is that we've sold our closeness to God in order to become or to seem relevant. 
and we continue to sniff at the air to see what new things we can adopt and we gallop towards it. That's the reality of the church in North America. And this cannot end well if she does not repent. Third, another idol that God's bride is clamoring for is unbridled licentiousness. Living loose and immoral lives because everybody does it. There are people who really love Jesus but they see that's how people live. They sleep around so they want to sleep around as well. There's adultery in the church. And adultery then becomes idolatry. That's the thing they live for. That's the God they worship. And of course that's how animals live. Not people. Not the people of God. So the fourth thing is this. Watch out for denominations that have compromised. And see if doing these things help them any. Has any church, any federation, any denomination got better and closer to God by compromising and trying to be like the world? And you will find that it's absolutely not. Fifthly, there is always hope, no matter how far the church has fallen into sin. And Lord willing, you will see much of that next week. The third point then is God's bride became a shameless thief. Sour grapes, that wild, untamable female animal, but also a shameless thief. The nation stole God's worship, and they brought shame on themselves. The guilt of a prophet or priests and kings were exposed. And that's why you see, even after they came back from Babylonian captivity, after this time, probably a hundred years after this, that God put a banner in the sky and it showed two things. On one side it says liar and one side it says thief. And the thief there was referring to those who would steal the worship of God. They became back and they were pursuing their worldly wealth again. Their beautiful buildings and they forgot. And what is shameful here is that God's bride back to before captivity, they did not feel ashamed to stop their theft. Because she was comfortable doing it. It became the norm. You've seen that where they had all these buildings being burned down in the in the US uh, summer ago. And people are just breaking into stores and riding off or packing boxes full of things. What this did was to trigger things around the world. Even my home country this past week, they went into a big market, took all they wanted, and then burned everything down. And they're riding down the road with bags full of stolen merchandise. They became so proud of what they did. They didn't feel shame anymore. But they were insulting God. Who made her? Who sought her when she was left bloodied and beaten? Cleaned her up. Loved her. Saved her. Gave her everything. And then she leaves and becomes a thief. Why would you steal when you have everything? That's what she was doing. That's the foolishness of it. Nobody could understand that. About 20, 30 years ago, I believe, 20 some years ago, we had to deal with that with one of the 
Toronto mayors whose wife made the habit of going into stores and stealing. One of the richest men around. She couldn't help herself. She could, but she chose not to. That's the excuse kind of they were making. And to make things worse, they started this calling on trees and stones their gods. And God said, well, you're in trouble now. You call on the tree to save you. You call on the stones that you worship to save you. Of course, they will not be able to save. Judges 10 verse 14 says, Go and cry out to the gods which you have chosen. Let them deliver you in your time of distress. Stones and trees weren't our only gods, of course. There were lots of others. The Bible says here that they had as many gods as the cities in Judah. How they had fallen. Matthew Henry said they had multiplied their dunghill deities. These filthy gods. And what contempt they had for their husband. What can we learn from this? From the shameless thief who stole when she had everything. Four things. If you and the church stay long in sin, it's harder to leave. You get comfortable. It becomes a normal thing to do. This is why many churches don't even feel bad about their current practices. And may even look at you as if you were crazy for confronting them about these practices. You challenge churches today about how could you have female pastors? How could you have worship teams? Where did that come from? And you would be looked upon as strange. Ask them about the moralistic preaching. Where they don't take the time to show the work of Christ. And the promise of redemption not working out. Instead it's five easy steps to raising children. And six ways to have a happy marriage. Ask them where that kind of preaching came from. Ask them about their choirs that sing for them. And they have to sit there and watch. Where did that come from? Those things we've done so much. And we've stolen from God's worship. Because the people should be the choir of God. And it's, you would be looked upon as if you were strange. That's because we've spent too long there. And we need to leave. Second, those who worship idols. Whether literal idols or things such as money and power. Which are more our type of idols. The Bible says that. They're as dumb as the idols they worship. You worship money, you're as dumb as the money. You worship power, you're as dumb as the power, forgetting that all power comes from God. Psalm 115 verse 8 that we'll sing says this, Those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. Speaking of idols. Third, it is easy to add more idols once you've started with one. And why is that? Because more men have, the, the more men have, the more they want. Idolatry is intoxicating more than alcohol is. For example, lust for pleasure leads to a lust for money. And to get more money, you might want more power. 
And to want more power, you have to be more cruel to other people. And the steps, the, the train goes on. One idol will never satisfy you. Four, if God isn't your reward, nothing will satisfy you. You know, Abraham was concerned when Keter Lohomer and the four kings, he defeated and rescued his nephew Lot and brought them back. What would happen? Would this man come and try to take everything I have? God's response was, Abraham, I am your exceedingly great reward. You know me, you're okay. You're okay. Let's conclude. God's beautiful and holy bride, who received all his blessing, became a wild vine, an untamed donkey, and a shameless thief. How that must hurt God to see his bride in such a place. But God was not like a desperate husband who runs and turns a blind eye to his bride's sin in order to keep her. He called her out so she would repent. Brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, call out individual Christians, church leaders, congregations, and denominations which have abandoned the safety of Jesus Christ for personal advantage and worldly acceptance and applause. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, call out government officials and foreign governments which have promoted hatred to the true God and disregarded his worship and have persecuted his people. Call them out in clear tones. You're not in this world to be liked. You're in this world to serve. And ask God to mold you after his will and make you stay close to him. Remember, if you stray, your family will stray. If your family strays, the church will stray. If the church strays, the nation will stray. Stay close to God. Why would you do all this? Because you are the treasured bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember what he did to give you your freedom. He gave his life for you after giving up the glories of heaven. Don't dare walk away. Stay and be faithful. In the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy. And finally, God has no wild grapes, no untamed animals, and no shameless thieves in his family. If you're one of those, you need to repent. You need to ask God to forgive you. If you don't, then hell is your hope. If you do, joy.